This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Initials Only by Anna Catherine Green Chapter 29 Do You Know My Brother? Her hands were thrust out to repel. Her features were fixed. Her beauty something wonderful. Orlando Brotherson, thus met, stirred for a moment at the vision before him, then slowly and with effort withdrawing his gaze, he sought the face of Mr. Chaloner, with the first sign of open disturbance that gentleman had ever seen in it. Ah, said he, my welcome is readily understood. I see you far from home, sir, and with an ironical bow, he turned again to Doris, who had dropped her hands and in whose cheeks the paler still lingered in a way to check the easy flow of words with which he might have sought to carry off the situation. Am I in Oswald Brotherson's house? he asked. I was directed here, but possibly there may be some mistake. It is here he lives, said she, moving back automatically till she stood again by the threshold of the small room in which she had received Mr. Chaloner. Do you wish to see him tonight? If so, I fear it is impossible. He has been very ill and is not allowed to receive visits from strangers. I am not a stranger, announced the newcomer, with a smile few could see unmoved. It offered such a contrast to his stern and dominating figure. I thought I heard some words of recognition, which should prove your knowledge of that fact. She did not answer. Her lips had quieted, but her thought, or at least the expression of her thoughts, hung suspended in the terror of this meeting, for which she was not at all prepared. He seemed to note this terror, whether or not he understood its cause, and smiled again as he added, Mr. Brotherson must have spoken of his brother Orlando. I am he, Miss Scott. Will you let me come in now? Her eyes sought those of Mr. Chowner, who quietly nodded. Immediately she stepped from before the door, which her figure had guarded. And motioning him to enter, she begged Mr. Chowner with an imploring look to sustain her in the interview she saw before her. He had no desire for this encounter, especially as Mr. Brotherson's glance in his direction had been anything but conciliatory. He was quite convinced that nothing was to be gained by it. But he could not resist her appeal, and followed them into the little room, whose little dimension, whose limited dimensions, made the tall Orlando look bigger and stronger and more lordly in his self-confidence than ever. I am sorry it is so late, she began, contemplating his intrusive figure with forced composure. You have to be very quiet in the evening so as not to disturb your brother's first sleep, which is of great importance to him. Then I'm not to see him tonight? I pray you to wait. He's been a very sick man. Dangerously so? Yes. Orlando continued to regard her with a peculiar awakening gaze, showing, Mr. Chowder thought, more interest in her than his brother, and when he spoke it was mechanically, and as if in sole obedience to the properties of the occasion. I did not know he was ill so very lately. His last letter was a cheerful one, and I supposed that all was right till chance revealed the truth. I came at once. I was intending to come anyway. I have business here, as you probably know, Miss Scott. She shook her head. I know very little about business, said she. My brother has not told you why he expected me. He has not even told me that he expected you. No? The word was highly expressive. There was surprise in it, and a touch of wonder, but more than all, satisfaction. Oswald was always close-mouthed, he declared. And it's a good fault. I'm obliged to the boy. These last words were uttered with lightness, which imposed upon his two highly agitated hearers, causing Mr. Chaloner to frown 
and Doris to shrink back in indignation at the man who could indulge in a sportive suggestion in the presence of such fears, if not of such memories as the situation evoked. But to one who knew this strong and self-contained man, to sweet water, possibly, had he been present, there was in this very attempt, in his quiet manner, and in this strange and fitful flash of his ordinarily quick eye, that which showed he was laboring, and had been laboring almost from his first entrance, under an excitement of thought and feeling, which one of his powerfully organized nature must end, and that soon an outburst of mysterious passion which could carry everything before it. But he did not mean that it should happen here. He was too accustomed to self-command to forget himself in the presence. He would hold these rampant dogs in leash till the hour of solitude. Then a glittering smile twisted his lips, and he continued to gaze first at the girl who had just entered his life, and then at the man he had every reason to distrust. And with that firm restraint upon his, upon himself, Sillenforce remarked with a courteous inclination, "The hour is late for further conversation." I have a room at the hotel, and will return to it at once. In the morning I hope to see my brother. He was going, Doris not knowing what to say, Mr. Chaloner not desirous of detaining him, when there came a sound of a little tinkle from the other side of the hall, blanching the young girl's cheeks, and causing Orlando Brotherson rose to rise in peculiar satisfaction. My brother? he asked. Yes, came in flattering reply. He has heard our voices. I must go to him. Say that Orlando wishes him a good night, smiled her heart's enemy, with a bow of infinite grace. She shuddered, and was hastening from the room when her glance fell on Mr. Chaloner. He was pale, and looked greatly disturbed. The prospect of being left alone with a man, whom she had herself denounced to him as his daughter's murderer, might prove a tax to his strength, to which she had no right to subject him. Pausing within an appealing air, she made him a side gesture, which he at once understood. I will accompany you into the hall, said he. Then if anything is wrong, you have but to speak my name. But Orlando Brotherson, displeased by this move, took a step which brought him between the two. You can hear her from here, if she chooses to speak. There is a point to be settled between us before either of us leave this house, and this opportunity is as good as another. Go to my brother, Miss Cott. We will await your return. Flash from the proud banker's eye, but no deemer, rather a gesture of consent. Doris, with a look of anxiety, sped away, and the two men stood face to face. It was one of those moments which men recognize as memorable. What had the one to say, or the other to hear, worthy of this permeable and the more than doubtful relation in which they stood each to each? Mr. Chaloner had more time than he expected in which to wonder and grit himself for whatever suffering of shock awaits him. For Orlando Brotherson, unlike his usual self, kept himself awaiting while he collected his own wits, which, strange to say, seemed to have vanished with the girl. The question came, Mr. Chaloner, do you know my brother? Do you know him? Does he know you? Not at all. We're strangers. It was said honestly. They did not know each other. Mr. Chaloner was quite in his state, was quite correct in his statement. But the other has had his doubts. Why shouldn't he have? Coincidence of finding this mourner, if not avenger, of Edith Chaloner, in his own dire radius again, at a spot so distant, so obscure, and so disconnected with any apparent business reason, was certainly startling enough unless the tie could be found in his brother's name, 
and close relationship to them. He therefore allowed himself to press the question. Men sometimes correspond who do not know each other. You knew that a Brotherson lived here? Yes, and hoped to learn something about me. No, my interest was solely with your brother. With my brother? With Oswald? What interest can you have in him apart from me? Oswald is suddenly a thought name, an unimaginable one, one with power to blanch even his hardy cheek and shake a soul unassailable by all small emotions. Oswald Brotherson, he repeated, adding an unintelligible to himself. O.B., the same initials. They are following up these initials. Poor Oswald. Then aloud, tardily becomes me. Perhaps to question your motives in this attempt at making my brother's acquaintance. I think I can guess them. But your labor will be wasted. Oswald's interests do not extend beyond this town. They hardly extend to me. We are strangers, almost. You will learn nothing from him on the subject which naturally engrosses you. Mr. Chalmers simply bowed. I do not feel called upon, said he, to explain my reasons for wishing to know your brother. I will simply satisfy you upon a point which may well rouse your curiosity. You remember that, that my daughter's last act was the writing of a letter to a little protege of hers. Miss Scott was that protege, but seeking her came upon him. Do you require me to say more on this subject? Wait till I have seen Mr. Oswald Brotherson, and then perhaps I can do so. Receiving no answer to this, Mr. Chalmer turned again to the man who was, who was the object of his deepest suspicions, to find him still in the days of his unimaginable thought, battling with it, scoffing at it, succumbing to it, and all without a word. Mr. Chalmer was without clue to this struggle. But the might of it and the mystery of it drew meditation from the room. Though proof was lacking, though proof might never come, nothing could ever alter his belief from this moment on that Doris was right in her estimate of this man's guilt, however substantial her reasoning might appear. How far he might have been carried by this new conviction, whether he would have left the house without seeing Doris again, or exchanging another word with the man whose very presence stifled him, he had no opportunity to show, for before he had taken another step, he encountered the hurrying figure of Doris, who was returning to her guests with an air of marked relief. He does not know that you are here, she whispered to Mr. Chalmer, as she passed him. Then, as she again comforted Orlando, who hastened to dismiss his trouble at her approach, she said quite gaily, Mr. Brotherson, I heard your voice, and is glad to know that you are here. He bade me give you this key and say that you would have found things in better shape, in better shape if he had been in condition to superintend the removal of the boxes to the place he had prepared for you before he became ill. I was the one to do that, she added, controlling her aversion with manifest effort. When Mr. Brotherson came to himself, he asked if I had heard about any large boxes having arrived at the station shipped to his name. I said that several notices of such had come to the house, at which he requested me to see that they were carried at once to the strange-look shed he had put up for him in the woods. I thought that they were for him, and I saw to the things myself. Two or three others have come since and have been taken to the same place. I think you will find nothing broken or disturbed. Mr. Brotherson's wishes are usually respected.
That is fortunate for me, was the courteous reply, but Orlando Brotherson was not himself, not at all himself, as he bowed a formal adieu and passed the drawn-up sentinel-like figure of Mr. Channel, without a motion on his part, or on the part of that gentleman to lighten an exit which had something in it of doom and dread preach. End of chapter 29